welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Billy, for getting together with me for a conversation for the podcast again. And how are you these days? Doing just fine. And hopefully we can have an interesting conversation. We were just talking about something the other day. And um, it's something that's interesting to to me. So hopefully we can, right? We can have an interesting conversation about it. Right. Just as introduction, you're my son. You and your family live down on the border of Texas, Mexico, mm-hmm. and at the Rio Grande Bible College. And you head up the video photography department. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting when talking with you is uh, talking about cultures, because. It's something that you don't really see when you're in a culture. You have to get out of your own culture to see your culture. Otherwise, it's just like a fish in water. Well, what's water? Um, I don't know, but it's because you don't know anything else. You know. One question I was going to ask you, and I don't know if this is necessarily like something we'll have to edit out, or, but um, I was going <laughs> to ask, you know, when you're growing up in a family, that's kind of like your family culture. Mm -hmm. And it just seems normal to you. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, maybe, you know, when you get out of your household and then you're away for a few years and then you come back to visit like you are now, then you're seeing it with different eyes. It's kind of like now you have your own culture, a different culture, um, household culture, you notice. And, um, And now you're coming back and you're looking. Does anything strike you as... Um, like, wow, you know, uh, different now that you are not in it, but you're looking at it from the, with the eyes of a outsider somewhat. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, that is that interesting point. I've thought about that a little bit. Um, I guess for us coming back, just that thinking is normally it's, coming back and then thinking about how it was like when we were growing up and stuff right Mm -hmm. and um, we had like a really strong emphasis on doing stuff together Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like individual activities and stuff like that basically just like different um, values kind of stand out like something that was always just kind of part of what we did and then later you kind of realize like wow that was kind of like an emphasized value that that was part of our family at that time mm-hmm. or were not just at that time but you know as a family growing up and everything okay what any particular values that you're thinking of yeah well that one being one example doing stuff together doing like stuff together like um like i played upward basketball and soccer mm-hmm. a couple years and, you know, there's some different activities, but I can think compared to others, like realizing, okay, how much other people do as far as individual activities growing up, mm-hmm. um, and whether it be sports or just hobbies or whatever, you know, we really uh, concentrated on, on doing stuff together instead of doing stuff apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we still do that, but maybe, you know, not to the same extent, perhaps, um, with everyone being older in the family and, Mm -hmm. you know, some people um, having this interest or that, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's more flexibility when everyone can drive themselves and doing their own work and stuff like that. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, in particular... You know, when it comes to the gospel and how that addresses different needs, um, we were talking about this earlier. And our culture, there's a certain emphasis on the gospel. You mentioned that it's like guilt, innocence, but it's a different emphasis, maybe. Well, it's a different need in other cultures that the gospel answers. But before going on to that at all, you know, when we're talking about the word gospel, how would you define that, like in a nutshell? The the good news of salvation, saving us from uh, from death, um, and a, it's being a 
spiritual death uh, as well as, you know, primarily just being dead in our sin, being stuck in our sin. So we're, we're, we're all, as, as fallen humanity, stuck in something, trapped a lot of times. And um, so the gospel frees us to live true life um, with Jesus Christ being our Savior and our King. I think that's some, that's some of it. You know, there's a lot more to it, but maybe that helps us set up for what we're talking about. Okay. And then in the Bible, so you have the story of Jesus, like in the, the gospel narratives, mm-hmm. the story of the gospel. Um, and there, you don't really have, like everything you said, you don't really have it explained in that manner, but more of you have the story of Jesus, a man uh, uh, sent from God, um, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Who, and saying the kingdom has come. Right, yeah. The kingdom is coming. Right. Mm-hmm. And then being unjustly um, betrayed and judged and then given over to execution and was executed, which was a, a real cruel form of execution because it was made to, I, I assume it was made to make an example of those who were executed. And then this um, type of execution was, well, crucifixion, which was nailing the... Um, condemned uh, person to a wooden cross mm-hmm. and then so and then the stories have the God raising Jesus from the dead afterwards and giving him like new life and that's kind of how the gospel mm-hmm. accounts and yeah and I don't have all this organized like how we're going to talk about all this so but we have all Jesus' teaching and actions and miracles, the parables, his teaching, like the sermons, and and his miracles that he does, his acts of kindness and restoration. Um, but first off, in the gospel story of Jesus dying, you have him being condemned as guilty, being shamed on the cross, naked, hung on the cross, uh, being just like receiving all the dishonor or, or shame of and you have him powerless oh like just hung there so but that's what that's that that's according to you know the the what's being put on him but then you have him um, being shown to be perfectly innocent the son of God who lived a perfect life and being uh, restored to full honor at the right hand of God being, being, and being raised from the dead where not even death had power over him. So I think in, in that, even in the gospel picture or, or the story of Jesus, you get, um, there are kind of what I was talking about with you, uh, a picture of the three things um, that... Uh, our cultures in this world tend to focus on. And um, it's just, I I was trying to explain, it's just one way to look at cultures and how they work that they tend to emphasize one of those three things. Either um, guilt and innocence, which is what we know in our culture as being just kind of like that primary thing of what it makes a person good or not good. Are they guilty or innocent? Um, and then for uh, some cultures that shame and honor, like, you know, that's what determines their actions, what um, you should do or shouldn't do. And then for some cultures, it's uh, fear, power, or what is going to, yeah. And we, we can talk more about those, but just even in the story of Jesus, you kind of see those those three things. One thing you mentioned is that he was powerless. So, like, I, I think that the Gospels present it, whereas the entire time he's willingly allowing himself. Right, right, right. right. And he's not actually guilty, and right. he's not actually shamed. But right. he is performing actions, and, and dying on the cross, he is being condemned by humans as as 
guilty. He's being shamed as if he was shameful, even though he's perfectly honorable. And he's hanging on a cross as if he was powerless, even though he is God and the Son of God. All right. Yeah, so he willingly allows himself to be nailed to the cross. Mm -hmm. But he could have, like it says, called down a legion of angels or he, Mm -hmm. you know, was... It was up to him. He had his. Mm-hmm. Um, he allowed all of this to happen to him. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. Before going on, I've, to me, I've experienced something from that story that um, is like beyond just the explanation of it. So the explanation of it, it's kind of like what you said um, that he died for our sins that we can be forgiven and you know I found I find comfort from that too it's like a standing before God but even besides that um, during and this is only applicable during times of like distress but during times of distress the um, it's I've been impacted by you know the most innocent ideal man um, facing and enduring the most complete um, suffering both mentally and physically I mean being betrayed unjustly condemned then nailed alive to wood and just left to die and and somehow there's like um, spiritual strength in that that's not really understandable by me like why why it is so like I can make sense of why it is comforting to know I'm forgiven but the idea of the most perfect complete um, um, man suffering in the most complete and full way and that that means something to me like the the way I think of it is like he's my champion he his victory impacts me um so I don't know so there seems to be like something deep in it that's not really explainable that I don't really understand that does give comfort to me um when nothing else will um during times of my own distress, things I might go through to, through life. Hmm. So. so anyway, I don't know what to make of that, but I just thought <laughs> I'd bring it up. <laughs> yeah. So, so we kind of have a base of the gospel now. Okay. But, uh, but our original conversation that we started began was about cultures and how they right. work and what they emphasize. And we, part of that, what we were talking about was truth, right? Yeah. Do you have a, do you have... A question or how you want to begin with that? Okay, so um, the gospel um, answers a particular need. And um, one question I have is like, what do you think about the first century culture, that the original culture that the gospel burst upon the scenes in and what in particular was that need? Do you have any thoughts about that? Okay, so first off, just to say about culture, that it is generally... Okay, so I'm not an expert on cultures, obviously, or, or anything like that. It's very interesting to me. And because I've gotten to live kind of in a slightly different culture, it kind of helps you to start seeing different things. You start, And it's one thing to start learning things about another culture... But then you also begin to see things about your own culture that are different. And there's kind of like different stages. There's stages of like criticizing or like being judgmental or being accepting of the other culture. And then the same thing for your own culture. You know, you can be like, well, why do we do that? Why do we do things like that? Or um, and that kind of thing. So it but it is always a challenge to to look at another culture and really be part of it. So. You know, obviously, looking back at history, it's hard to say, you know, what their culture was like. But um, I think in general, the Middle East and that culture was more honor-shame 
than what we think of. We, I think some of our uh, roots of thought of um, go back to the Greeks and kind of like their way of thinking just uh, and what came out of it and then the beginning of our country, you know, kind of strengthened that just as far as like it doesn't matter what everyone thinks. It's whether you're whether you're uh, innocent or not, you know, you're like your reputation is worth something, but uh, and is important. But really, what it comes down to is whether you know you're in the right or not. And um, so, and every culture has different parts to it, but they tend to emphasize one part or another. And in the Middle East, so in that first century, probably um, there was a really strong, well, they had the Old Testament, right? So there was a very strong, like, like, this is right, this is just. But there was also probably some pretty strong, um, uh, like, guarding your your honor and your reputation your family your clan your tribe and your your people that was and um and, and i was in the old testament too yeah and, and and i think i mentioned um i need to remember that everything we talked about we haven't talked about now just how a lot of the parables are geared towards that and sometimes we kind of reinterpret them or take them as if they're talking about being guilty or innocent. And obviously that's part of the picture. Always there's that's part of the picture. But really what it's focusing on is not whether the person in the story was guilty or innocent, but whether they were restored to fellowship in the family, whether their name was restored or whether they were in shame or not. And the one, the main one, uh, one of the main ones is the, um, the parable of the prodigal son. How you know it never talks about if he was, uh, if he breaking the law or uh, innocent or guilty. It talks about him uh, being being in shame, having shamed his family and his father, and then being accepted and fully brought back and fully restored with all the symbols: the ring on his finger, the shoes on his feet. You know, not just as a servant, but being fully restored to the family. Um, and being uh, forgiven, uh, but in a way that, you know, gave him back his honor as a son. There's um, an in-out type of element to some of the parables. Like, there would be the story, and then there would be the guy there without the wedding clothes, and he gets kicked out, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's, um, you know, waiting to the end of the age, and then... Um, there's going to be a separation, you know, the chaff goes one place, the wheat go, or not the chaff, like the weeds go one place, tears, mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. wheat goes another place, a separation. And, and, and the one where he invites the wedding guests, yeah. and they all have an excuse, mm-hmm. and he makes sure there's not going to be a place for them. They're going to be, mm-hmm. in the end, they're going to be dishonored, mm-hmm. even though they were the ones, you know, that were originally invited, but the the people from the highways and byways that don't have the same level of, of honor and um, social status, you know, they are going to be invited in and elevated. Um, so, so, yeah. I don't, I don't know if this applies to the conversation at this point, but um, I was listening to a person talk about the multifacets of the atonement, like the heart of the atonement. Perhaps you would talk about that legal thing, forgiven. But then... There's the um, ransom aspect of the atonement, as in being purchased, and that's a little bit different than the, you know, legal being forgiven. Being forgiven. That's yeah. more like a. Uh, it could be applied to the 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 power, like who who has control of you, who who owns you, you know, mm-hmm. who who are you. Uh, and and, right, yeah. and are you free from from that or not? You know? Right, like Chronicles, Chronicles Nardi is a little bit more of the emphasis on the ransom, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then there's the um, example, you know, like the atonement is something we're supposed to take up our cross and follow Jesus. So there's that aspect, and I think there's a couple others that I'm, can't. I'm not thinking of right now, but. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so in the background of some of this, of these thoughts that I have is not just the different, like living and seeing different cultures a little bit, but taking a, a class a couple semesters ago, ago called transcultural communication and where we did some study of how different cultures function. How do you communicate effectively in that culture? And part of that is understanding what they what they value and how they function and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, what do you think about the gospel call, like the thing that we're calling people to or the thing that the evangelist is calling the person to? For example, you, you could say, um, if we're in our culture, say, you know, you're, Jesus died for your sins. You're forgiven. You're going to be with him at the end. You know, and um, they would maybe say, okay, well, that sounds good. All right. Okay, now I'm going to go on and finish up whatever I was working on. And <laughs> I'll keep that in the back of my mind because um, I'd rather have that than have the other option, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like that's giving good news, but it's not like the, there's not much of a call into call. Yeah. It, you know. And I think, um, Part of the call is understanding that, uh, well, a mature Christian is going to understand more different parts of the gospel, right? Yeah. But there's, what we talked about was there's a, there is, what is um, key in your life? What is it that drives your decisions to do something that's one way or another? And... Um, <laughs> And for us, a lot of it is what we say is right or wrong depends on what uh, if we will, if, yeah, basically how we say right and wrong or how we decide what we do is based off of that guilt innocence factor. And it's almost like, you know, being part of this culture, it's, it's almost hard to distinguish that from what is right, wrong, or like, well, Obviously, if if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But once you start functioning inside of another culture, you can kind of see how, well, right, they yeah they do what is right and and wrong. But there there are the way they they determine what is right and wrong or what uh, can can vary a little bit. And um, what was your sorry? What was your original comment or question? Did, I have no idea. That was like two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the last comment that you made. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. It was, um, you know, just the gospel call itself. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I, so I had a thought with that. I had a thought with that. That the gospel call is to be uh, condemned by the world and declared innocent before God. It's like there is a sense in that the world will see us as uh, guilty um, and and also there's a sense in which the world will see us as shameful, like but we will be honored before God, sons of God. And there's a sense in which the world will see us as weak, but we have the power the power of God. So in my experience, I don't really experience that. So I so I used to um, before I really talked freely about my faith. You know, I used to kind of think if I did, you know, it was it, w- it was uncomfortable for me to do it. And I'd force myself to do it sometimes just because of a matter of guilt or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a natural thing. I don't feel good about it either because it wasn't done in love. It was just right. done as religious duty, you know. But nowadays, like I get out of my own circles a lot and I meet with people and I talk with them. Well, I do this podcast, so I talk with them. But there's other ways I get out of my circles about the matters of life. Like, mm-hmm. what's the most important thing to you? What Are you religious? Um, do you believe in God? And and they are curious about me, too, and they mm-hmm. ask me. And, and in, in these circles that I'm in, which it's like they're, they're fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because I'm not, well, I'm not trying to, you know, convert them. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be great if God... Um, took someone and turned their heart and they 
they came to love God and there was repentance and, you know, and the things that happen, you know, in um, people's lives um, sometimes when there's a conversion. But, um, but you haven't experienced condemnation or right, like the world saying right. you're guilty. Right. Yeah. You're, people are you're just, wrong. Yeah. Just fine. Now, certain people might say, um, kind of push back and uh, want to debate with me a little bit, but most of the time it's just, oh, okay, well, mm-hmm. that's what you believe. Um, okay, that's fine. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, I think in general in our society, well, there's two. There's two things. One. Our society has a background of being religious, so it's still not abnormal that someone would be religious and have religious convictions. I think there's certain areas that are more like hot water topics now where if you were to say, this is sin, um, they would would turn around and condemn you, depending on what circles you're in, you know. And then also... be. Besides the religious aspect, we have a certain level of individuality in our culture, which says, you know, uh, as long as you're saying what you believe is right, that's great. And I'll say what I believe is right. Yeah. And, you know, so, so yeah, I don't think we, we always feel, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of hostility or persecution. Now... But in some countries and cultures, there that is uh, escalated a lot more. So, um, for example, if, it, if it's getting political and stuff like r- religious um, freedom, if it's you know like a, I mean, is that where it escalates when there's political problems with identifying with Christ? Um, I think also as a culture, like leaves truth and leaves the gospel, you know. Then it becomes so like our culture is maybe just not as far removed from from truth as as some are. Mm-hmm. So that persecution is not or that resistance is not as strong, uh, especially on a maybe on a personal level, even though it might be like on a social or like topic level but sometimes, especially in the news, I guess, you know. But we've gone from modernism which would have everyone be in line, you know, and have a certain meta-narrative or background story of the world where I could see more hostility toward Christianity in that system than now a postmodern system or way of thinking where people don't have confidence in that unifying story so everyone's fine with just having their own what makes sense to them mm-hmm. and uh, anyway mm-hmm. so it seems yeah. like it makes sense that people are just fine with me with and what whatever. I believe and yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily compel them it doesn't seem like mm. um, but they're okay with me believing it and mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes for easy conversations about it, but um, mm-hmm. but it's know. like it's not entering their life. Maybe, right. Isn't that kind of like the part of the postmodern thing? Like, I mean, it's not like what you believe doesn't necessarily affect what is true for me or changes yeah. my beliefs. Well, yeah, it's basically what you believe is what you believe. What I believe, like, and there's not like a unit. There's not like confidence. In knowing a unifying story that we have to get to, mm-hmm. and we all have to get on the same page with it, mm-hmm. it's like that's been thrown out because I guess because there's just no confidence in ever obtaining that and getting to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Bible does say otherwise. So, yeah. like at some point, there is like a resistance to what the the Bible is saying that we're that we're guilty and in and in sin. Yeah, but um, again, that's why I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's still that's what the Bible says, but it's still what I believe, um, and it's not what they believe. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be no friction. Hmm. Well, yeah, as long as it's not, and I'm not as long as it doesn't I, have to affect them, right? And I'm not forcing them to believe. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. 
So we got to that from me saying that in the world's eyes, uh, right. we're, we're, we're on the wrong we're on the wrong side. Right. You yeah. hear that a lot in the news, at least. We're on the wrong side of history. You know. Um, I don't. I. Well, I don't watch regular news very much, but um, you ju- you hear more issues. It's more issue based than. Mm-hmm. Cr- I don't think people. It's not religious based. Right. right? It's issue based. So someone who takes issue with homosexuality, right, or with abortion or different things, you know, right. they would say those people. Or on the wrong side of history, and then they would maybe stereo lump us to stereotype those type of people, lump them together with like conservative Christians or something like that, yeah, mm-hmm. and say that we're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they would say they were, were, yeah. Anyway, so while in our culture, typically, and it, it's. Cultures are always changing, and our culture, I feel like, is is changing in some ways. Um, you know, we'll say you're you're right or wrong, and but uh, and and based on you know do you how you believe, I guess, and how you act, what you do, um, and I'm I'm trying to, and I guess if. In in what we were talking about yesterday, that in some cultures, it's it's um, a feeling of it's do your actions bring shame or honor uh, to you, and that you can when we present the gospel only as guilt or in, or being innocent. That sometimes doesn't affect the rest of their the way that they base their decisions. So, right. so in the in the there's certain countries in the uh, Middle East where they could there's stories testimonies of people like you know sharing the Bible sharing the gospel and the person is believing and wanting more but gets to a certain point where they say I'm not interested I don't want any more because I've realized that if I accept this as true then my family will reject me and my my tribe or my clan will reject me and even my whole entire country will will reject me and say and um so in those cases, you don't just need to be able to show how you will be innocent, but you need to be able to show how the honor that Christ offers us is above anything that we can find in this world, even to the point of our nation, our entire nation honoring or shaming us. Mm-hmm. There is a aspect of the gospel that offers us the privilege of being sons of God and it's an honor that can't be touched by anything that happens in this world mm-hmm. and um, trying to understand that it can be I think can be kind of hard for us because we don't operate uh, according to that uh, as as being our our principal value I think a lot of times and um and then something that's even a little bit more farther removed than that is in some cultures of the world, there is uh, a fear-power struggle where people are basing their actions off of, and that we would call, a lot of times we would say they're animistic. They believe in spirits. They always live in fear. And really it is decisions of fear that often drive their actions. And we would say a lot of times say they're barbaric you know they do all these things that don't make sense to us at all but they're basing their actions off of what will give me power over evil spirits or some outside influence what can i do or what spirits can be on my side in order to and you know it's really easy for us to shrug that off and laugh at that but there is a sense in that um uh the we ignore the spiritual battle that is happening in the in this world, and um, and and those cultures tend to be very aware of it. 
And we would say they're completely ignoring justice in the world a lot of times. And um, I feel like that that can be even harder for us to to understand. And sometimes the church in those areas, you know, their strengths are in those their core areas, and they have to mature into understanding justice. Um, you know, being just to people, uh, which is just really clear to us in the American church. But you know, they see our blindness of. We don't even talk about uh, the devil or spirits or uh, praying for for protection um, from from evil spirits or, or, or things like that. You know, we don't need, hardly even acknowledge that that exists, and they would say that we're we're being blind to that. So, um, anyway, those are the three ways that, at least in the way we were studying cultures, and what, something that was interesting to me is that. Uh, the guilt innocent cultures if you divide them if you divide the world up into their like core values and those three things uh, being guilt innocence fear power honor shame that the majority of cultures don't fall into um, guilt and innocence that's actually the the least the smallest category mm-hmm. and um, I think it's part of what goes with maybe some of our western thinking you know or even european thinking as well in some in some areas and and all three of those play some part in the way you evaluate things what you evaluate is right and wrong um so we don't i'm not we're not saying that as an american i completely disregard what other people think of me it's just not normally the first thing i think of when deciding if someone's right or wrong or am I right or wrong you know and um, so so yeah so I can see how that comes to play when we're trying when a person is trying to reach another culture with the, the gospel of Jesus the good news of Jesus and show them how it applies and why it's good news for them mm-hmm. um, but what about ourselves when it comes to uh, you know the United States Church, um, when it comes to us enjoying and the gospel and being impacted, do we need, um, can we um, get more of the gospel out, get more out of the gospel by, um, you know, considering these other areas more, like you were talking about some cultures, they have to mature and learn the justice. Well, do we need to learn and um, mature in, mm-hmm. you know, appreciating the other aspects of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I think we can really easily criticize other churches and other continents and other cultures, um, and they can look at us and criticize us, you know, as being greedy, being individualistic, um, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. Like, if we look at the church in India or the church in Africa— it can be easy to criticize, um, but and and something also to keep in mind is that the gospel transcends culture. That's part of the point of this course I took was it's transcultural communication, not intercultural communication, mm-hmm. and that the gospel, um, uh, the ch- the culture of the church is something that rises above to truth, um, and. There are aspects of the truth in different cultures, and I think it can be helpful to to learn from different cultures. But in the end, you're going to need to learn from the Scripture uh, and and mature according to the Scripture. But um, as an example of how we can learn from the church, especially the church in other in other countries, right? But I just um, like the honor shame value, like we can really quickly say, well, that would be you can fall into sin or be, have poor judgment so easily if that's your core value. Well, you're just thinking about what everyone else thinks about you. But if we examine ourselves, we see that we are very divided denominationally. Uh, church by church across America where there are so many churches there is a lot of individuality and if we thought a little bit more about 
each other and the other, maybe we could find more unity while not elevating it to first place, like would be like the error of maybe, um, uh, yeah, some cultures in Asia. Typically, you, we I think of Asia when I think of, of, of shame, honor, even though you can find that in other, maybe some other countries as well, where, um, you know, unity and thinking of the other and accepting a wrong done to yourself, you know, it just comes a little bit more um, naturally because you're thinking about the good of your community first uh, over the good of yourself. <laughs> and we tend to think of ourselves first <laughs> normally. So that would yeah. be just one example of like, um, I'm not sure exactly how, but I think we could learn something from the emphasis put on on unity, honoring each other, not bringing shame to each other, that kind of thing. Yeah. So this is almost could branch off into a totally different topic, but just the divisions in the church, which there has to be like guarding truth. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's where our early um, church-wide creeds came from to kind of show, well, what is true Christianity opposed to, um, you know, something that's not really Christianity. And so there has to be some of that because Christianity isn't just anything that you make it to be. Mm -hmm. And yet there's so many divisions when, you know, biblically we're we're to be, there's not, you know, that's not Mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like... For me, I just think, well, if there were, if there are those basic type of things, like the things in the Apostles' Creed that we can, you know, find in common, then we can just disagree with all these other things and still be okay. <laughs> but it's not how, how it is. I know. think that, and like, I do, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, like in, in theory, in theory, the divisions are from doctrine, but I think in practice, a lot of times we're just ready to divide over over practice instead of doctrine, mm-hmm. or maybe that it, it's a interpretation of doctrine and how it should be worked out, not of the actual doctrine or teaching. But um, yeah, I don't know. That was just an example that came right. came to mind. Yeah, you know. Um, Okay, so, you know, there's a current U.S. crisis going on uh, concerning uh, justice, for example, you know, um, like the Black Lives Matters movement Mm -hmm. concerning, um, like, uh, trans um, issues concerning, um, you know, just there's different crises going on in the United States. Are these uh, like same crisis going on in like uh, Latin America cultures and um, and things? Do you know, or is this kind of unique? I know it's not totally unique to the United States because I know things like this go on in other European cultures. Mm-hmm. But is it a worldwide thing, or is it really more a Western European? type of thing these things that we're going through in the united states i think it's mostly a western european thing uh, and so and then you see it in some other countries to lesser extent like in south america it is happening definitely uh, like south america is kind of west western yeah. in, in some ways maybe a little bit more um uh family oriented or you know in, in some issues the, the u.s is a little bit behind as far as progressivism behind some of the European countries, and okay. then South America maybe is a little bit behind uh, the U.S. Okay. a little bit, mm-hmm. but they're they're kind of uh, in, in similar ways. So, sometimes you see like mirroring type of of uh, women's women's rights and um, um, LGBT. BTQ or whatever it is, uh, the uh, rights and stuff like that. Um, I think 
in some areas like Asia and Africa, you don't see that. Okay. So re- not too long ago, there was the Methodists uh, all came together. The Methodists of the world came mm-hmm. together. I think they were making decisions about uh, homosexual uh, pastors and leaders and stuff. And I think it was the Methodists of, uh, of Africa that really made sure the majority was still conservative because they didn't mm-hmm. – see it was black and white to them still. This was not an issue. While, while in America, you know, it was very much an issue and the majority, I think, still preferred uh, – or were, were leaning towards um, allowing – homosexual pastors and stuff like that, if I understood the issue correctly. And so, like, in Africa, I don't think um, the churches and countries there are are struggling with the same issues that the American church is. Okay. So you learned um, Spanish, and you're proficient in it, and that's really opened a door for you to enter into other cultures and experience them and things so that's really neat um what do you think about languages for the everyday person or even older an older person like myself where it might be harder to learn a language um i don't know if it's an aspect of just the taking the having the time to do it or um the motivation or just the cognitive ability i'm not for sure but <laughs> but like um is there value in learning a different culture's language just a little bit um or um learning how it works or or should everyone be a student of languages or is it really not really something that the everyday person should concern themselves with. Um, I guess I'm trying to figure out what's the value of mm-hmm. doing what you did, and is this something for everybody, or is this really valuable for you, but you know, not necessarily you're an advocate of like everyone doing it. Okay, so yeah, that's a lot. I can just like dump a quick bucket load. Like, I think being traveling and getting to know other cultures is helpful mm-hmm. it just helps kind of broaden your mind a little bit about the way things work you know the way people think mm-hmm. um and that kind of thing it can be helpful to not be so narrow-minded which the bible can do that too mm-hmm. but when you see the like everyday practical outworkings of it in people's lives it kind of makes it more tangible in some ways okay and language comes into that because language really is a, a key aspect of culture you can't fully understand a culture with another culture without their language or any culture without their language your own culture without your language and you can't fully understand a language without the culture They're, they go together mm-hmm. so i think that learning another language is helpful i think in america we're one of the few places where a lot of people the majority of people don't have a need to learn another language for everyday life or for um Getting getting ahead and work and careers and stuff like that. And the most in most of the world, learning another language is something that you that you need. At least for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for like a big chunk of the population of other cultures. Mm-hmm. And in some cultures, you're learning all kinds of languages. You're mm-hmm. always learning new languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as people in America learning other languages. Um, I would say, yes, go for it. It's good, but don't try to divorce the language from the people. Hmm. You need people. I feel like, for me, I would not have learned Spanish without the people. I mm-hmm. In high school, you know, we studied Spanish a little bit, mm-hmm. and it was not very interesting. Mm-hmm. Until you have the people you're trying to communicate with, it doesn't really get that interesting. Hmm. And the other thing is it takes a lot of work. It takes work and time, and without those people... Uh, that you're connecting with, you're not seeing results, you're not seeing the purpose, and you might be wasting time because you don't know if it's actually working, the study that you're putting in, the work you're putting in. Mm -hmm. So um, whether it's online um, messaging or chatting or it's uh, local 
um, neighborhood, you know, in America, we actually have a lot of cultural diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding those, those places uh, and those people to connect to would be very key. And so it takes some intentionality. It takes intentionality in the time and also in finding the people to, to connect to. So in the end, I would say it's, it's worth it. And even if it's just a little bit, and um, and I think that you know our country's so big, it's easy to travel a lot without really getting outside of our culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but that if you're going to learn language, make sure you don't divorce it from the people um, and the and the and the culture that you're that the language belongs to. So mm-hmm. you know. Latin and Greek and Hebrew, I guess, would be some of the exceptions, maybe, because, you know, they have their their academic purposes. Right. But as far as as culturally or to communicate, you know, um, that would be that would be the way I see it, at least. Yeah. I was just this is kind of a different type of thing. But I was just thinking there's all kinds of like lighter shades of cultures around us mm-hmm. to cross over into like a a single mother and kids that's not that's hard for me to identify with that life so that's almost like another culture or just our neighbors who are much younger than me or you know they seem much younger than me Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know that's like they probably have different um values and ways of thinking about things or someone who's quite a bit older than me um so mm-hmm. there's lots of culture, you know, barriers. Well, there's lots of, yeah, jumping over cultural divides mm-hmm. wherever yeah. we are. Yeah, everyone sees things a little bit differently, has a little bit different experiences. Mm-hmm. Sometimes going to a completely different culture gives you a heightened sense of unity with the people in your own culture that you didn't realize you had before. Hmm. It's like, oh, we really do have some stuff in common. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. when you find someone that has uh, comparatively nothing in common with you, then it can it can kind of help you see like, oh, you know, we can kind of have a conversation and understand each other having a, a basic understanding of how things work and, and at least in some areas, you know. Right. But it does take some work, I think, even like you mentioned, even um, going to a different neighborhood or a different part of the United States, you know, where uh, people might have slightly different values. Going back to the, uh, real quick, just mentioning the honor, shame, guilt, innocence, fear, power, there's um, that there's always a, a a balance of that that goes into it's not like just one thing right you're not just picking one and and whenever people are studying cultures they don't say like um, this in this like in the United States I think it, uh, it's one color represents guilt innocence it doesn't mean that every single person has a first that's their first priority. That right. means it, it's a majority. It's a, in general a, a way society thinks and functions. And there, when we took that class, transcultural communication, there was a test they had each of us take. That um, and maybe I can find it so you can link it because it was free and it was kind of fun. You could go online a series of like twenty or thirty questions um, that would kind of help you evaluate what were your priorities and do they line up with the the culture at large around you. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So there's important things and I'm wondering if, uh, you know, another culture's perspective can help us grow in our own understanding of these things, these concepts. Like I think of things like love death, work, time, marriage, parents, the atonement, but which we talked about some already. But these are r- really key things in, you know, to understand. I wonder on some of these, if another culture's understanding of them helps us to grow in our own understanding. Like, for example, love. 
from your experience of other cultures, um, do you see aspects of love that we might be weak on in the United States and our understanding of what love is? Yeah, I think so. That's harder to... Maybe it's... Um, I haven't thought about it in that particularly, but I would think so. Um, going back to the prodigal son parable, like I had not thought about that aspect of the restora- restoration of honor and showing love in that way. Like, to forgive someone for running away is one thing. To embrace someone who has dishonored you as a, as a leader and brought, like, shame on your name and just understanding what goes into that, um, you know, that's, that's an, another thing that I hadn't thought about or hadn't felt until hearing it from, from that point of view. Hearing it from someone that um, that meant the whole the whole world to them, you know, and realizing that for them to embrace the gospel would mean rejection by their entire country, like <laughs> unified mm-hmm. in a unified manner, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and how their whole their the way they base their life was on their family and their clan and their tribe was based on being being unified and then to be to accept the gospel would be to be rejected from from that so i think i have understood things in different ways in different um so i i think you know there's an aspect of of love there as well um and and I think there's some things that we, like, for example, like what, like parenting and, and things like that. There's some things that we say, but then our actions reveal what, is our, what our priorities are. And so when you look at another culture that has different priorities and you're with them and you feel with them a little bit, they can easily, they can say the same thing and say, and you're not living accordingly, (laughs) you know? Like we can say, um, take care of the, love the poor, you know, but then the way we spend money, does that show that we're actually, that's actually a priority? Um, While in in some cultures, to have someone on the street would be a, a shame to that that area why are they not taken care of why are they on the street mm-hmm. um and uh and and that kind of thing so it's like oh okay this is kind of this is what love looks like if we're actually going to uh work it out in this area you know yeah does um you know, from another culture's perspective, does that make the idols of the United States kind of stand out? And I mean like idols, I mean the things that we really put up on a pedestal and value inordinately. Yeah, yeah, like money and individuality are the kind of, I think, the two big things. I, I normally think money and sex. Okay, yeah, uh, for the Middle East, that's like they view America as it's a very sexual, perverted secular place very dangerous place yeah Mm -hmm. because they're very modest with like the way the women cover up and everything Mm -hmm. yeah very modest very reserved very conservative Uh, one thing that was interesting to me just as a culture you know we value innovation and change and sometimes even like change for the sake of change it's different it's new it's it's better right um but there are some cultures where not changing is the is is prioritized. It's like change is dangerous. Change needs to be slow. 
And for us, that seems so backwards. It seems so wrong in, in some ways. Um, why wouldn't you change? But if you stop and think about it, there isn't good in changing for changing's sake. And there is something safe in not changing. But the way we've been raised, because our country has changed and innovated so quickly, it's what it's built into the way we think. Mm-hmm. To to always be inventing, to always be upgrading, to always be moving forward. That's part of the way we think because of uh, and a big part because of our culture, not mm-hmm. just because it is an actually an actual good thing. So there are other cultures where their their culture is a lot older and been around a lot longer and had to weather a lot more storms than our culture has and not changing. I think it's a uh, you can kind of see a mini picture of that from child to adult, you know. Uh, the child is always things are always changing. They're just used to it. But once you get to be an adult, you don't like change as much. And does that mean change is bad or change is good? Um, Not that's, you know, that depends on what it is. But as a culture, we can look at them and say, they're, they're backward, they're slow, they're, they're hindering themselves. Um, You know, while they look at us, and they see the sexuality, they see the selfishness, the greed, not caring for people. They say, you know, you you say that you care for people and you love people, but look all around you. Look at the at what's going on in your country. How can you even say that you even know what love is in your country? You know, right? And they're viewing us through our movies and our news, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And the same way we view them, the same way we view, right. we view them right. through our news, most of the time, not even through their news and, and stereotypes, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, just anything else that, um, you know, before we wrap up? Well, just again, I'm not an expert on any of this. This is something interesting to me. Cultures are interesting to me. Now, because of that, language is interesting to me. I would like to learn another language sometime. But again, like I'm in a community where there is a lot of Spanish, and I was able to dedicate almost a year of that my full-time work was learning Spanish. So I would like to learn another language, but I don't know exactly in what way. And, um, and yeah, just saying that um, while it's something interesting to me and I would like to learn more, it's not something that I am any kind of authority on or anything like that. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, I think it's real cool that you're, you and uh, Sarah, too, now, is just so proficient in... Spanish um, so it's you know just like I can't hear you f- with their ears <laughs> I wish I could <laughs> that, that was one of our big takeaways from this trip to Colombia at least for Sarah was that you never she, she never wished or thought about having a translator that was never a need um, she did just fine in Spanish the whole time you know sometimes you have to ask someone to repeat themselves but you do that in English as well mm-hmm. um and and yeah, it was really cool. We we were able to live just fine in Colombia for a couple of weeks without any kind of uh, of major language barrier and learning a lot more uh, Colombian uh, words and and stuff like that. Colombian ways of speaking while we were at it. So here in the Midwest, if I wanted to learn another language, just to reach out to people that I can't reach out to now so much. Would Spanish be the the language to go with? I mean, there are other, there's Bosnians and other Mm -hmm. people, but as far as like um, the number of people, it seems like it might be Spanish. Spanish is is a very accessible language for us, especially because Spanish is very close to English in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Uh, We've been neighbors for a long time, Spanish and English. they're they're similar in the way even the way that the languages kind of think like it's interesting some of the same phraseology is very similar Mm -hmm. um so i'm not sure about other languages like bosnian and Mm -hmm. and german i know german is hard i think a little bit harder for english speakers than spanish is can anyone roll their tongue i mean roll their r's and really speak 
like a Spanish person if they just put forth the effort or or is it kind of a genetic thing where some people might just not be able to do that? <laughs> I don't think it's a genetic thing. Okay. It's a, it's about learning sounds and learning movements with your mouth. And your mouth is very dexterous, very flexible in ways that you don't realize. Hmm. Um, one thing to give everyone out there listening hope is that R, the, the flapped R, the single R, actually exists in English in several words. And you can take that and build into that the the trilled R. Okay. And it took me one semester to learn the the single R and the second semester to learn the rolled R. And I didn't think I would ever I I I'm like I have to do this for my work and that we're going all in and but you know there was I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to learn to roll my R the the right. correct way. We say roll. I think that's a I think that throws us off right from the start. Okay. It's a more yeah. of a trill or a flap. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of amazing what you can do if you just dedicate a little time every day to something, something you think is impossible. In a few months, you might be able to do what mm-hmm. did seem impossible if you just stick with it mm-hmm. regularly. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it took is like, you know, it takes some practice, some muscle memory, some thinking about where your tongue is and things are in your mouth. And then, that, like, some helpful, someone who knows what they're doing. Like, I, um, uh, we had a, a phoneticist, I think you call it, you know, someone who knows phonetics, mm-hmm. and not just of their own language, but of languages, can be really helpful for that kind hmm. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks, Billy. I appreciate the conversation. All right. Thank you. Thank you.